You are listening to International Open Podcast. This is the official podcast of International Open Magazine. Please head over to internationalopenmagazine.com to see the show notes size of the podcast, articles and more information. Issue 4. I'm here in Austria for, uh, from Vienna and I'm talking with Derek Breen from United States, in United States actually. Derek, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Horst, in Vienna? <laughs> very good. I'm, I'm very glad to see you. Okay, and uh, for technical buffs, we're using uh, Google Hangout on Air. I think this is the first time we're successfully using that. Is that right? It is. And, and what's ironic is I'm the one in a basement, but you're the one that looks like you're in a basement with no light. Ah, that's because I did not turn the light on. I can... Right. Looks also stupid. Now you look like you're a wit in the witness protection program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a bit too lazy to um to um go now make the light. Well, of okay. course it's evening. It's evening there, and it's morning here. Ah, that's okay. Okay, yes. Well, Derek, a lot of things happened. Uh, last time I heard from you was uh, podcast issue three, where um you were interviewed in Moscow by uh, can you his name again i forgot yeah by sergey this incredible yes. historian, historian yeah sport historian uber nerd on on many fronts sports yes. and books and movies uh, i was so disappointed i really wanted to talk to him about movies yeah but we we only had one evening to mm -hmm. uh to do podcasting together we thought we were going to sneak in another one but it will have to wait until i return to russia next month so, but uh, you plan to have more podcasts with him? Definitely. I, okay. uh, I'll be in Russia. Well, I'll be in Moscow, I think, for the whole month of April. So my hope is that maybe we'll do a few podcasts while there and pull um, some other fascinating people into those conversations. Do a true podcast in a restaurant. We're trying to find a restaurant that where the music isn't too loud. Yeah, that's... Actually, a big problem because uh, with the rights of the music, with the yeah, so you you need a music that is so internationally unknown that you never will get problem or or no music at all. Both is hard to find. Exactly. Well, there I think there were a couple of Georgian restaurants that mm -hmm. were really fantastic and only played local Georgian music. Okay. So I don't think the rights clearance would be a problem because I don't imagine that Google has indexed uh, Georgian folk music yet, but, you, but, you underestimate but they're pretty small. So yeah, we just hopefully we'll find the right place. Okay, so uh, let's talk about you. Uh, you was in Moscow how long now? For how many months? I was in Moscow for about three weeks. And three I'm weeks. Trying, trying to train myself to say Moscow, Moscow. because in the US we say Moscow, yeah, like yeah. cow. And that's so far away from how they say it. I should say Moskva. Moskva. But um, my my Russian is still almost you, as minuscule you, as my German. You're learning Russian? I am. I'm using Duolingo. And I found a really great app for learning the Cyrillic alphabet that I'm mm -hmm. using on my iPad. So between the two, I was doing well my first week in Russia, doing it every day, like an hour a day. But then my schedule just got kind of crazy, so mm. I've, I've gotten out of the habit, and I need to get back. Hopefully, the next few weeks while I'm in Arizona, I'll be brushing up on... So my hope is to at least be able to read the whole alphabet by the time okay. I go back, because it's very hard to navigate subways there in particular without at least being able to read the name mm -hmm. of the station. Um, you um, you sent me a YouTube video where you were in English uh, talking uh, also about this Anne Frank uh, stuff a bit, I think. And yeah, uh, I, is this uh, some kind of Russian educational program? I did not get uh, the Russian part of it. It is. It was meant to be the pilot episode for a new series called School of the Future. Mm -hmm. So you're back to TV be... producing now. <laughs> yeah, well, that was part of the attraction for going back to Moscow. Yeah. They have this, it's an education, they call it internet education television or mm -hmm. educational internet television, something yep. like that. They Right now, it's, um, it's all broadcast through the internet, but people are watching it on their TV using mm -hmm. smart TVs, Okay, and it's broadcast to all the schools in Moscow. Mm -hmm. 
And Moscow is so huge in terms of population that it's sort of like broadcasting across an entire country. Mm-hmm. So it, it has a massive audience. And apparently the show that I did for them the last time that I was there was one of the highest rated that they've had. Okay. Because they, they only started broadcasting in September. So they and were really anxious to get me back in the studio. What I did not fully understood, you was originally talking in English. You presenting Scratch yeah. and uh, design yes. things. And then they dubbed you live? or was No, they, the they're going to dub post-production. Okay. So they, they want to produce educational shows for an international audience. Okay. So part of the attraction of getting me is having the book, of course, the reputation yeah. of the book, and then also being able to reach an English-speaking audience ah, that okay. wouldn't be available. And then it's mm -hmm. easier for them to just dub me in Russian. Mm -hmm. I, they were considering doing subtitles, but it really doesn't work when you're presenting visual information like Scratch yeah, yeah. tutorials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, um, we've started fishing around for somebody that has a similar vocal style to me, like mm -hmm. similar energy, and actually found someone that I think will be really good mm -hmm. for doing it. And we'll, we're going to explore, mess around with that a bit more when I'm back in Moscow. Mm. And uh, can you uh, reveal this information? Um, you, you now hired uh, in Russia to do these educational videos by, by the Republic of Russia, or is this a private organization? Technically, no. Yeah. Technically, I haven't been hired. There, there's all this bureaucracy around yeah. paying mm -hmm. people from outside of Russia, mm -hmm. especially because it's government-funded. Mm -hmm. It's, it's actually run by the school district, the Minister mm -hmm. of Education for Moscow. So um, I was on another program while I was there that was a live panel discussion, which I haven't shared yet because that one is me speaking in English, them speaking in Russian. I can't see them. They can see me, but you can't see my translator. And it's really kind of rough. Uh, it's an hour long, and I don't know what interest there is for that outside of Moscow. Mm -hmm. But the the cool thing that happened with that is many of the higher-ups really got into some of the things that I brought up. Mm -hmm. And they are exploring ways to to kind of bring my my skills to a wider audience in Moscow, mm -hmm. but but I'm not sure yet whether that means having a dedicated series or doing more school visits like I've been mm -hmm. doing. Um, one of the things that I'm really excited about that looks like it's going to happen pretty quickly is creating a creative computing lab in their flagship school in mm -hmm. Moscow. So okay. they, they keep referring to it as Scratch Lab mm -hmm. because everything I've done has been about Scratch, but really hopefully emphasizing all the creative uses of technology and we're trying to get that launched in time to do scratch day which would be like the first or second week of may mm -hmm. and a big part of that initiative would be getting the creative computing curriculum guide translated into russian it's not available in russian yet so that's that's something that i've set for them as a big priority and even if the center doesn't happen But if we got the guide that was developed at Harvard to be translated into Russian, that would be huge because of the massive population that that, that would then be available to. The guide is is completely Creative Commons share alike really licensed. So cool. it's so this is really open educational resource what you're doing. There. Yeah. And it's really I think I have it uh, I thought I had it right here. It's it's close to a hundred pages mm -hmm. and it's even presented in a remixable format in PowerPoint oh. format so that anybody with access to either PowerPoint or Google Slides or any other mm -hmm. presentation software can remix it mm -hmm. any way that they want and use the parts that, that work yeah. best for their class. It's pretty great. I think this we'll, is a we'll feature that, that very few uh, educational material actually care about that you as a teacher have to adapt it. So yeah. a lot of educational software uh, uh, material is take it, we have the perfect form, and this is a block, and you can use it, and mm -hmm. you are not allowed to touch it or remix it. 
I actually I used I I remixed it myself a year ago mm -hmm. for a scratch camp mm -hmm. curriculum that I designed, and I'll be using it extensively again this year because they've asked me to develop a second week of scratch game design for them. Um, uh, did you have uh, um, had the opportunity to get an impression about the school situation in Russia? How is the computer lab, lab situation, or were you only uh, concerned with some very elite uh, schools, so where all the money is concentrated? What, um, or was it more like there's a national campaign to, to improve computer science? Did you get any uh, information about the situation there? I visited two schools this mm -hmm. time, of sort of official visits with the film crew and everything. Mm -hmm. There is there's some video on YouTube of me at two of the schools, mm -hmm. and and I'm hoping that we have a more extended version of that video because the, uh, at both schools, my goal was to empower the kids to teach as much as possible. So if you added up the minutes of the the two scratch workshops, one was with eight year olds, mm -hmm. and one was with more like 14 to 16 year olds. Um, and in both cases, I would say at least 70% of the time I had kids teaching. Mm -hmm. And I'm proud of that because in both situations, none of the kids had extensive experience with Scratch. And most mm -hmm. kids were using it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it was really demonstrating this, this methodology that I've been developing of empowering kids to teach each other as they're discovering something rather than them having to be fed knowledge and then digested and then come back like I see it as a really dynamic constructionist process so I'm really proud of that but I I definitely had the sense that I was seeing elite schools even one of the schools was in a pretty depressed mm -hmm. neighborhood but it was clearly uh, um, I mean they had MacBook Pros. Okay, okay. At, like that says it all right there. In fact, all three schools, all the laptops were Apple mm -hmm. laptops. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in none of the schools did I see uh, desktop computer labs. They seem to rely more on laptops. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, so only laptop classes, but no, no traditional computer lab. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. but that might be remembered wrong. I'm pretty sure, though, I got pretty extensive tours. Mm -hmm. of all three schools and so I'm sure that they would have shown me a dedicated computer lab if they had one. The colleges are more mixed uh, PC and Mac and now that I'm thinking of it maybe the, maybe the high school did have a PC lab but I'm just not remembering clearly. Okay I'm still here. <laughs> sure but I'm sorry to say no Linux anywhere and Linux and, is no topic in, in all these talks. <laughs> no, it, it really you would expect it to be huge in Moscow, yeah. but at least in the places where I was, pretty much everybody was on PCs or Macs and I think mm -hmm. more Apple than than mm -hmm. PC. Maybe even more so than, than I've come to expect in the US. I think Apple has a really deep penetration, at least in Moscow. So we Westerners have also to teach those Russians anti-Americanism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they need more Linda Lucas, clearly. They, they all need to read Hello, Ruby. Okay. I love the way that... Have you read the book yet or, or flipped through it? No, uh, from Linda... Uh, you know, talking about Linda's book, Hello, Ruby. Yeah. No, no, uh, not actually. I was just reviewing some mm. parts of it because oh. I was... I sent her an email earlier today about... Mm doing um, an open licensing of her characters and mm -hmm. illustrations to be used in Scratch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like already the Cartoon Network and PBS but, Kids. Sorry, please both... verify that you, you proposed Linda to open license her artwork. She did not well, actually I, do that. I didn't, I didn't propose that directly. I was more suggesting that she create a shared open scratch project that's remixable with all of her characters and backgrounds mm -hmm. and things from the book, the way that Cartoon Network and PBS Kids have started to do with their licensed properties. Mm -hmm. So they've, they've made their characters and scenes and stuff available to kids to make their own animation and stories, which I think is really great. And I'm hoping that Linda considers it, and I even offered to donate some of my time to help make that happen if, mm -hmm. if that's helpful. 
Are we talking now about the same project? I think there's um, some American um, uh, national uh, computer program where, where big companies like Disney are participating and they have this, uh, these programming tours with the Star Wars robots and well, that's like that. Most of that stuff is through Google CS and Hour of Code, code.org. Oh, code. Yeah, um, code.org. I think code.org yeah. code can, can be... And yeah. those, those are, for the most part, very closed projects. They're so not... License... To, yeah, those, yeah and, and you can't... They're not Scratch. They actually use Google Blockly. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. They're, um, I think it's great that kids are learning to code any mm. way they can, mm. but I really prefer Scratch because in Scratch there's the possibility of kids going in many different directions. It's open-ended, whereas most of those hour yeah. Lockley lessons are very linear, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's no way to remix projects, mm. at least from what I saw when I was doing hour of code in Ireland. I don't have to tell that to you, but for our audience, I have to do this rant now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also not doing a very good thing to the world or the audience in general if those companies doing projecting their brand, their intellectual property uh, right regulated brands into the minds of the little kids because if the little kids then want to make a own painting or a movie or a computer game with the Star Wars characters, in effect it can't because it's protected material. It's not free licensed artwork. Yeah, I agree at least half with mm -hmm. what you're saying. I I think the advantage of using licensed mm -hmm. characters is that it's a hook. It's a hook to get yeah. some kids that might not otherwise be involved, but it's but I definitely prefer the way that Cartoon Network and PBS and some other companies are starting to open up their characters and allow kids to do that. Ironically, I, I just read an article a few yeah. weeks ago that um there that people are starting to go after children or at least go after Scratch community for illegally using music in Scratch products. Yeah, there, there was a um, um, thing making the round. It's also in our German podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but that's what was you said um, to me as you was in, in Europe before, that uh, Scratch is the YouTube for little kids where they can produce and publish their, their own stuff. So they have to start to getting the same problems that YouTube users already have. Exactly. Okay, but back to your previous, you said uh, Cartoon Network is allowing uh, their characters to be used for programming? Yeah, we can link to, to them in the show notes too. They have, they've licensed several of their, um, wait, let me make sure I have it right. What Cartoon Network did is they created three Scratch projects yeah. for Hour of Code using three different sets of characters and locations yeah. from their cartoons. And the kids can not only follow their tutorial, but they can yeah. also pretty much do anything they want in Scratch using those characters, which is pretty cool. Well, the one thing is doing that inside Scratch, but as far as I understand, Scratch has uh, all the material, also the artwork in Scratch is free licensed, so Creative Commons license. You can really oh, also yes. publish that. And they yeah. really uh, give that uh, away, their intellectual property, their cartoons, to no. a free license. No, uh, no, you're, you're half right. So the, the first thing you said is totally true. The All of the images and sounds in the library built into Scratch yeah. are, are yeah, freely free available license, to yeah. use. The, what Cartoon Network did is they created standalone pro Scratch projects. Mm -hmm. So their all of their assets are only available in those projects initially. Okay. They're, they're not in Scratch itself. Like, if they're not in the Scratch library. Yeah, yeah. But because kids can remix those projects yeah. as many times as they want, in fact, they can use all of those assets any way they choose within Scratch. I, I fully understand the technique. Uh, doesn't the technical way. Yeah, but I, just I, I wonder about the uh, legal legal situation, but as soon as you do something in Scratch, don't you implicit uh, free license this material? No, no, it's Is only no... licensed for use on the Scratch website. So as soon uh, as it's you... It's not really, not yeah, really open license. If, okay. if some kid makes a picture and mm -hmm. exports it as a ping mm -hmm. or a GIF, 
Mm -hmm. that is not licensed. That mm -hmm. license is not necessarily covered. So of course it's mm -hmm. a gray area, mm -hmm. but, but I don't want to put out the wrong message. They definitely have not open sourced their, yeah. their intellectual property. Open They're just allowing kids to work with it. And actually yeah. Lu Lucas did that several years ago where he, he allowed people to remix or reuse assets from Star Wars, mm -hmm. but only on the Star Wars website. They could only be published. Yeah. And and so it was it was uh, a real like half step. I don't have to speak out uh, on how many levels I think this is wrong. To yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly know where you stand. For me, okay. what's exciting to me, I want to encourage other companies to at least do this half step because it's allowing kids to manipulate the media that they are already addicted to. Mm -hmm. and of course, I would prefer them to design their own characters, but I think it's very powerful for kids to be able to manipulate characters and, and, and work with them the same way that maybe they're using like a Lego Star Wars kit or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I, I actually had a little touch of government uh, myself in Austria. I was on a, on a digital champion meeting where oh. uh, uh, like a dozen uh, um, organizations were invited who all do some computer teaching. And uh, also one guy from the European Union was there. And then I, of course, everyone proposed his project and I was the only one uh, talking about free licenses. <laughs> and I, of course, also said, well, I, I suspect that a lot of you guys are only uh, projecting their brains. Hmm. And then trying to to get their brains anchored in the in the education material, but the bra uh, the the brains tainted with all the restrictions. Do I still <laughs> speak clearly? Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think this is what what happened in a worldwide level here. But yeah, we definitely have a long ways to go. I mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the article that you shared yesterday. I think it was yesterday about open education uh, So this resources. is an international open magazine, the newest article yeah. from, from a, a Brazil guy, I think. Brazilian guy, yeah, about open education resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a little bit, be <laughs> we were talking about um, how to involve kids in into computer science, right? Yeah, and uh, of course, I'm I'm from the uh, from the not RT direction. I'm from the coding fraction, so I think yeah. it's uh, it's enough to <laughs> to play in text mode in, in a monochrome screen. And I did uh, today. And that, of course, is not my method. <laughs> I want vector yes. graphics. Derek is more from the RT side, sitting with his yes. MacBook Air in Parisian cafes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think there are many ways how you can get kids involved into computing and into computical thinking. Of course. And and what I learn more and more <coughs> uh, that I do that you don't need always 3D graphics to, to to for the kids to have fun. I'm always very amazed if, if they learn a bit line of Python. So I'm of course a Python instructor. Um, and and they start uh, making a program where a uh, where um, a jar move around a text screen. They are so fascinated. I don't have to teach anymore. I just let them play around with them until they become ready for the next lesson. And yeah, it's kids have their fantasy. You don't have to. They don't need a Star Wars universe just to get them behind a computer screen. They already are behind a computer screen. So well, this is why I think my... you're gonna you you need to go out and buy Linda Lucas's Hello Ruby right mm -hmm. now. Because it's it's like it's a book written for you. Mm -hmm. if, if you had children, Horst, this mm -hmm. is the book you would want them to read when they're five or six. Yep. It even has, like, Tux is a character, and the Mozilla Fox is a mm -hmm. character. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's really cool. But it, and it also has a, a, an Apple mm -hmm. character. Like, so it, I it's hope he's really... the evil guy. <laughs> not, no, not evil. It, what I like no, about it is that she explores the... The, the 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 pluses and the minuses of the mm -hmm. whole sort of stratosphere in such mm -hmm. a creative way. Okay. So it talks about the apple, and I can't remember. It's weird. I can't remember what that character even. Can't remember that character per se. But the apple is basically like more orderly and and clean and and nice, whereas <laughs> the the android. The yeah, little Android yeah. guy is really crazy yeah. and all over the place, but but open and friendly. 
Um, did did you watch her TED talk? I yes, know I'm you, a, I must say I'm I'm, I'm I'm very jealous that she has a TED talk now. <laughs> I think they he, well, it was anybody can get a TED talk. Yeah, okay. they're doing it everywhere. It seems I've I've been to a few of them now. But you have not your own TED talk. It's the new thing, like having a homepage or a Facebook page. You have Honestly, I yeah, you have no TED I talk. suspect I will do one someday, and I don't okay. want to. I don't want to ruin my chances. But I'm a little bit burned out on TED talks. Okay, I see. It, particularly, I found I really don't like going to TED mm -hmm. because, like the last one I went to, I was only there for half a day, and a friend of mine was the final presenter. He was awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually hadn't seen him in many years. This was in Virginia. Um, this great guy, Bernard, Bernard, man, I'm forgetting how to, his full last name, Bernard H. But okay. uh, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes because he did this really incredible talk. Derek, I absolutely love the, the word we Hankins. in show notes. <laughs> Bernard Hankins. Okay. I think that's how I and say what, his last But name. what was the problem with the TED Talk? Was it too exhausting to be overexcited by exciting people all day? or what? what is well, first of all, I was not overexcited by most of the speakers. Ah, okay. So we only see the good TED Talks so <laughs> in real Europe. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, not, not to imply there weren't other good talks. There yeah, were yeah. a few very good talks that I saw. Mm -hmm. My problem is the saturation point and I'm sure this varies a lot from location to location mm -hmm. and talk to talk. Maybe, maybe when it's in Long Beach, the big TED Talk, maybe they have a lot more breathing room between mm -hmm. speakers. But when you have four or five people doing 16 to 20-minute talks back to back, mm -hmm. and then a break for lunch, and then four or five more, it's too many ideas. And, oh, and there's not a lot of time... I'd really like to see them build in some discussion time. So it's more like really engaging a... people in exploring okay, yeah, yeah. ideas. So it's not a typical conference setting where the real action uh, happens between the talks and on the floor. So it's only the talks and you have no time between. Well, especially TEDx because mm -hmm. TEDx is one day. It all has to happen in one day. Mm -hmm. It's broken up by lunch. Maybe there's a dinner mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. But it it's like Imagine a huge conference, or not huge, it's usually a hundred yeah. or a couple hundred people. Imagine the Scratch conference with no workshops and no posters, see, just yeah. talks. One talk session. On yeah. one stage. Would and so it really, in some ways, you get the best and the worst, mm, I think, with I conferences. And you and I have gone to a lot of conferences over the past year. <laughs> so we've seen some of the best and some of the worst. So we will make our own TED, multi-TED Yeah, I mean... And, but I think what's really valuable about TED is that it gives people all over the world a voice and a platform. Mm. So I really like the democracy that anybody that does a TEDx talk is included in the TED, the big TED mm. stratosphere. Because, uh, so yeah. like Linda Lucas, she didn't do a talk in California. She did it. I don't know. Do you remember where that TEDx was? No. It was, it was somewhere. Yeah. Um, it was definitely not in the U S and so, but it, but she's already reached hundreds of thousands of people because of the TED brand. So I like that it it has that possibility. But it's a marketing it, multiplier. Yeah, it does also feel diluted. So I I like the conferences conferences I'm doing now. I'm doing another one in Dublin in um, three weeks. But, but you're not doing a TED. No, I haven't done a TED yet. Educational conference. Uh, I was actually, conference. I spoke to someone about doing a TED in New Bedford, Massachusetts, where I used to live. That's where I lived when I was going to college. And I was quite excited about the idea of doing a talk there because I have a lot of friends and ties to the community. I used to do a television show in New Bedford and I did a lot of theater there. So I thought it would be cool. But um, that was before I started my international travels and and in fact i think i was in russia maybe when that happened or or or, or ireland i was out of the country so i, I must end, keep I you here for our international audience uh, if you want to host derek please do so <laughs> he's maybe <laughs> soon in a country near you in a city near you looking for a host and as uh, i can talk from my own experience it's very enriching to host Derek, because and if you're yes, ever going to Amsterdam, <laughs> if you're ever going to Amsterdam or many of these other cities, there are, there have been so many people that have been kind hosts to me. 
but surely the kindest, most generous host is yours truly. Because how many times have I stayed in your apartment now? Like, I think three. But uh, the cool thing is that Derek invited me to Rome, where we had a great uh, make a Rome fair experience. So I can really honestly say, host Derek, this is very, really a yeah. cool thing to do. And he's your, your uh, poster uh, uh, homeless artist <laughs> living in Parisian cafes. <laughs> so we yes, need a home. <laughs> I, I've been homeless since June 1st. I was just talking to my sister about this. So yeah, I'm staying at my sister's house right now. And then I go to... Arizona for two weeks because my parents and an aunt both have houses there and I don't have to drive because I also haven't had a car in a year. So it's it's pretty great. Just a little oh, of course. Oh, wait. No, wait. Yep. You. I've been yep. doing a lot of talking. So uh, if you were going to do a TED Talk, I probably know the answer. But for our audience, what would what would you most want to talk to people about if you had 17 minutes in an international audience? I would maybe use 14 minutes with silence just uh, for show because there's too much noise already and then put my message in a three-minute uh, oh. lightning talk because I think if you can't say it in three minutes then you should maybe shut up and we we do your talk. <laughs> That's a really important point too that most people try to fill all that time. Yeah. Some of the best talks are the ones that are 10 minutes or less. Yeah, also in, in conferences, I always enjoy the lightning talk sessions where you only have five minutes and they're very pedantic about this. And at the Scratch conference, you only get three. Yeah, three. This is very, it's a bit extreme, but it's... it's I think it's extreme to you, but... I, or maybe it's yeah. five. Is it, it five? five? I guess I it's no, five, you, yeah. Usually five. I, but I, you, you're I right, there's three minutes because over. every speaker needs uh, two minutes for his laptop. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. But Derek, I want to say something. Please. Just a very short thing. I was in the um, Hamburg Chaos, Con um, Chaos Com Communication Conference, that thing in December. And yeah. I can, episode uh, two. Yes, episode two of this podcast. Please listen. I'm still writing the report of it. I'm still <laughs> one month uh, ago, but I'm still not finished writing the article about it. I hopefully will do soon. But yeah. there was a lightning talk, and on this lightning talk, I, I met the next possible Linda Lucas. It was um, also a very small woman, young woman, and she was saying she will write a book about Python, and wow. it will all be, wait for it, Creative Commons share alike licenses, Woo! including the artwork. And I, oh, um, awesome. this is the cool thing about uh, lightning talks. Later, I ran to her like a crazy groupie and said, "Yes, I will help you." Blah, 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 blah. And I never <laughs> managed to to even write her an email because I wanted to do the article first. So, but uh, there there's stuff, things happening, and I. Where is she from? Germany. Uh, I hope I find her email address again. I I, I know I, I wrote I wrote the email address and. Uh, but what I want to say with that is um, go to uh, Hamburg uh, Chaos Communication Conference. This is where very cool cool stuff happens. I think you have seen the pictures or, or heard my, the, my last podcast. Yeah. And so, Derek, please, next year you must be there. I will care I for everything. I totally want to go. I was supposed to go. Yeah, I was supposed to go this year. For our audience, if you're international audience, that's very okay. Uh, it was in English anyway. Uh, so it's it's in Germany, and then some talks are in German, but they adapt in English. So, but as an international, you're very welcome there, and we'll have a great time. It's really the biggest hacker meeting in Europe. Very very cool thing, cool people, cool projects. Go there. I normally yeah, don't make advertisement for German conferences, but for this, I have to do because I was so fascinated. If you can make it to Dublin the last weekend of February, the SESI conference, which is the Computer is Educators Society. The, is, the, you're talking 2016. This is in four yes, weeks? Yes, okay. in three weeks. Ooh, yeah. So I'll, I'll be presenting there. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm presenting, whether it's a talk or a, or a um, workshop or both. I've, I offered to do both. But I think I'm doing a keynote there. And there's a teach meet the night before. So it's sort of like, it's only a one-day conference, but the, the teach meet makes it feel like a two-day. So it's a, it's a great format where it's lightning talks, but it's random who gets mm -hmm. to go up. They have a wheel that they spin, and, and I've, I've been to a few of them and really enjoyed them. We, you, you went to one or two of them in Amsterdam, didn't you, at the Vogue? 
They did these uh, ah, okay, yes, yeah, they were very cool. Digital Maverick. I must say they were also together with a party, so... Yeah, there was <laughs> lots a, of beer. I memory about it, but uh, yeah. I remember having a great time. Yeah, people teased me because I was sprawled out on the floor at one of them with a big Grolsch <laughs> in my hand, like, and it was not my first Grolsch of the evening. So, to, to cover it up, at the moment you are in USA? And you I'm in the USA until the end of February. Actually, I, I'll fly to... And then you go to, to an island? Or? I think I have to fly to Amsterdam because mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm applying for a work visa mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to go back to Russia. Mm -hmm. And it is really complicated. And they can't get me my invitation in time for me to get it processed in the U.S. So this will be the third time <laughs> in four months that I've been going through a visa application process. Uh, I of the U.S. and you know a bit about this. I wanted to ask about, um, didn't nobody in Russia or from the government side uh, proposed you to, to maybe uh, get married and, and uh, so to ease up the, the whole immigration I'm process? Not, I'm not opposed to that idea. So the, the, the KGB also did not offer you a, a bureaucracy fixing wife? Not yet. Although I, I really had this Soviet dinner experience where I was brought to this really exclusive restaurant in Moscow yeah. called, I think it's the writer's room or the writer's mm -hmm. club. It's where the, um, the Soviet writers and artists used to go. And cool. it's really exclusive. Like yeah. you have the feeling that you have to put on a dinner jacket. Okay, yeah. And we were literally escorted in by this television personality and guy, this really great guy, um, Dmitry, who does the weather every morning in Moscow on TV. Okay. He has to get up at like four in the morning, but he's involved with the educational TV station. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he was really excited about some of the stuff I was doing there. And then I got to see his documentary, mm -hmm. this great documentary, which we'll link to, about um, these, this pioneer Russian pilot. Okay. Who's, his, I think, the grandfather of his wife. Mm -hmm. So, like, his grandfather-in-law or something mm -hmm. like that. But um, – They brought me in and you, I sat down and you really, it, and they kept telling me like, who's a, oh, you don't know who that is at the other table, but if you did, you'd be so excited to be here. It was like <laughs> celebrities and officials yeah. and, and, uh, and I drank more vodka than I have in my entire life. Like we went through two bottles of vodka, like really high quality vodka, phenomenal Ooh. food. Um, it would be a really interesting place to do a podcast, but we'll never be able to do a podcast there. Way too too formal. But so it, it was mixing with the, with the Russian art elite. <laughs> yeah, I really. It was really like they were whining and dining me, and I, yeah. I thought they were going to be offering me a more permanent job that night. Yep. But the politics of Moscow make it mm. really hard mm. for them to actually hire people from outside of. Russia. Mm -hmm. So right now it's more of just sort of a um, collaboration mm -hmm. versus job. There's kind of a lot of that there. Uh, but What it about, was not specific because you was American. It was any non-Russian nationality would have this problem to be hired. I think it was partially being American. Oh, so. So you can so always try to, to find a European wife and then become yeah. European. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I do think if it was you, if it yeah. was someone from Ireland or mm -hmm. a, a country that has better relations, yeah, then it would be then, easier. Then it might be easier. Mm -hmm. But there, it's also it's it's kind of loaded because it's about educating kids. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, that would be one of the hardest things to get into in a country that has concerns about outside influences. Yeah. In fact, speaking of which, I was supposed to be going to Jordan in the first week of March mm -hmm. um, with SAP to, to, mm -hmm. to be involved with a new coding initiative that they yeah. want to get going there. And they, they canceled my participation because of security concerns. And okay. it, I, I also thought that there might be some issues in the Middle East 
having yeah. people come from other countries in America in particular and mm -hmm. teaching young kids anything. Yeah. It's the it's the political equivalent of traveling the world with a big kick me or capture me yeah. or answer me sign. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, I think I think many countries want me to come and kind yeah. of do what I do, go into schools and and do these fun demonstrations and dance with the mm -hmm. kids and have them make animated turtles and video games. Yeah. But um, then they want me to leave. <laughs> they don't want me to stay. So I, I, <laughs> I'm sure now, victim of Americans' yeah, image of the world. <laughs> I've now been to Russia twice just yeah. since October, and I think I spent about four weeks total there in the mm -hmm. past three months. And I'm about to go back for a month and a half so I'm sure I'm on many lists, mm -hmm. both in, 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 the, in the U.S. and in mm -hmm. Russia at this point, just based on visa applications, if nothing else. Please tell me, at least as you returned to America at the airport, you get uh, winked aside because there's a Russian stamp in your passport. It never <laughs> happens. It okay. never happens. I think, I think I just have one of those faces where I couldn't <laughs> less Arab. And of course, that's... Of course, that's the demographic that they're most concerned about mm -hmm. at airports. And in particular, you know, I, I always fly back into Boston mm -hmm. or New York or both. Usually I have a connecting flight. So I go Moscow to New York and then to Boston. And of mm -hmm. course, the two most security conscious airports in the world are probably New York and Boston. Mm -hmm. You know, the 9-11, the you know, the, mm -hmm. the flights flew out of Boston and of mm -hmm. course New York. So I do always think about that, but it, it never ceases to amaze me. Every time I pass through customs with a wave or a nod, <laughs> I just feel like, how is this possible? I, I could have anything. I could have raw nuts in my bag, which apparently is worse than anthrax. Mm -hmm. I, I threw away all my snacks and stuff when I left the plane, and I could have mm -hmm. kept them. They wouldn't have even known. I could have had all those lovely snacks from Russia. Um, so, Horst, a bit more about what's going on with you in Vienna. You're teaching. Are there yeah. are there some other projects on the horizon? No, no, I'm I'm still uh, self-employed and doing my teaching children Python stuff. And yeah, it I'm fine. I have no TED talk yet. <laughs> but uh, so my biggest problem at the moment is finding the time to to write about these amazing conferences that I visited, like the cows communication camp in, in end of December. Mm -hmm. And so if um, if you're interested in International Open Magazine or International Open Podcast, dear audience, uh, please uh, send me uh, either links to stories you think are interesting, uh, so everything about openness or open education. And if you can, uh, please uh, write an article or if you have a blog post, send it to me. I will publish it in Open International Magazine. I'm definitely planning to write something soon mm -hmm. about Moscow and cool. um, yeah kind of go I, I, and, and Derek hopefully uh, you if you find guys like Dimitri uh, to do recruiting so to yeah. tell them hey don't you want to publish oh I have been I, I've definitely been I've definitely been promoting a cool. bit in cool. Russia yeah. and I'll be able to do it a bit in a more dedicated way when I'm back there are there any plans to put out a print edition in 2016 well, plans, yes, but but uh, let's let's be realistic. So um, I'm at the moment at a at a interval of of publishing about one article a month. That is even low for my standards, and this is huge work. I don't even write them myself. I just ask other people, can I get this article under free license? This is my sure. work. I actually do. And the next step toward print will be to. Uh, to have one button where you get an EPUB or a printout version. At the moment, it's only really good for looking on a big screen on TV. Mm -hmm. And I, I really want an EPUB version so that you can download it and read it on your e-reader or that you can download it and print it out. So that will be the next, the next thing for International Open Magazine. That sounds like a good way to go. I, I this is a technical that. issue. I have to solve that with my friends. So mm -hmm. how to, Because I want to do it once, the markdown files, and then have buttons who auto-format that. I don't want to by hand format, format it, of course. And I think as soon as we have a print and EPUB version, then um, then it's actually a good idea to, to print out and, and make a bundle of, of the such and such articles. 
Yeah, and in the meantime, people can use a service like Instapaper, mm -hmm. which I've been using for a few years, where you just have a bookmarklet in Chrome or whatever, or Firefox, and you can click. Uh, so you just go to the web page that has the article, you click the Instapaper button, and then it compiles its own journal. Mm -hmm. And I have it set up so that it sends me a weekly digest right to my okay. Kindle. And then you can um, read it if you're on the plane offline. Yeah, or so. Mm -hmm. so I love it. It's great. Anytime mm -hmm. I find longer articles, because I don't really like reading articles more than 500 words yeah, or so yeah. online, then I have it. And yeah, then I don't need, I don't, I haven't mm -hmm. bought magazines in years. Now I just know that I have my little electronic journal that I can take with me. Can I also make a request here public for our audience? Oh, yeah. Um, um, I'm actually a bit uh, with my workload. I, I realized that I cannot handle all the social media things that I wish to do, like um, having a Twitter account, I, I can handle that, but uh, having a Facebook uh, person who just uh, makes um, an article in Facebook, a posting on Facebook, if a yeah. new article is out in International Open Magazine. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I understand that I'm too slow for that and I'm not, um, it, it costs me too much energy and so, and uh, because there's an official Facebook page, then there's a Facebook group, and then you should also promote it to people on Facebook who would love to reshare that. So I would need a an, an Facebook guy or Facebook girl who just post the things from the magazine to Facebook and try to spread the word. Yeah, and so maybe maybe the person could simultaneously do LinkedIn too, because I think more yes. and more people are yeah, using yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. So if if someone is good in one social network and would would take the, the workload of just promoting international magazine there and trying to get people in connection and get people to to uh, share their links or ma uh, make their stories, I would really appreciate uh, help in this direction. I I maybe you could get an intern. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what people do? <laughs> you go to the university or even go to the um, the hacker space and like uh, put up a little note that's just because it, you know what? It, it's the easiest thing in the world for people younger than us to do regularly. Mm -hmm. yep. Like they're doing it 50 times a day. Even my niece, yeah. who's nine years old. Can we recruit your niece maybe? <laughs> uh, probably there might be some difficulty there, particularly okay. with Facebook. But um, yeah, it, it, I, I'm actually going to be paying my cousin to handle some of that for me because yeah. I, with the book, and now I have two more books coming out in mm -hmm. March, and and so I'm not. It's not like I'm famous or anything, and mm -hmm. it's not like I make a ton of money, but I spend many hours most days mm -hmm. just dealing with email, mm -hmm. Facebook, and Twitter tied mm -hmm. to promotion. Mm -hmm. You know, just scratch, just yeah. staying on top of that stuff. And and I enjoy doing some of it, but I can't do as much as I have been, especially as I take on bigger projects like the Anna Frank Museum project, which I'm hoping is going so to be and, really So, and is money spent in your cousin to handle some of the social media workload? You, you think this is, um, that really helps you, that someone is caring for your social media activities because it would uh, yeah. eat time that you need to do other things. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is just psychological, and and fortunately, mm -hmm. I have I have a cousin who's who's great and reliable mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. needs some extra work. Okay. So okay. my plan is to just put some money in a bank account, and, mm -hmm. and she'll name a fair rate, mm -hmm. and she'll be totally self-regulating. Because otherwise, you always hear this: it takes more time to manage an assistant than the benefit of having an assistant. Like so many people I know would take on interns, but their concern is that they would spend so much time just describing what needs to be done yeah, yeah. that they'd be like, oh, I could have done it in that time. And I, I have problems with the word intern. Is an intern someone who is not paid? Well, in the U.S., by law, you have to pay interns. Ah, okay, yeah. So no, they're paid, but a low wage. Low wage, okay, okay. The problem is uh, for International Open Magazine, I do not make any money out of it, so right. I have no, of course. no, no um, incentive to pay someone. To do it. But I, but there, I think there is a lot of incentive for for younger people just to get the credit mm -hmm. of being, you know, a um, social media marketer yeah. or whatever whatever yeah, title uh, 
and you're really good about letting people choose their own titles. <laughs> so if someone is hearing this who is young and need a I say as title, the official so art director of yeah, International yeah. Open Magazine. Exactly. Uh, I hope you will have that meanwhile on your business card. Uh, not yet. You, I, I, even, I don't even make enough from International Open Magazine to pay for a business card. So we should conclude here that we actually, none of us makes any money out of it. Yeah. I think. I have no, Google, more ads, for the Google ads running, but also they are not bringing any money. Sure. And of course, it's not about that. But um, I did also want to mention, I'm, I mentioned the conference in February. I will also be going, yeah, in Dublin. Yeah. I'll be going to another conference and presenting in Moscow in April. And mm -hmm. that one is an international education conference with several thousand people. Well, so uh, for, for people that aren't too far away from Moscow, mm -hmm. like within a, a, a two or three hour flight, mm -hmm. it might be worth considering. And I don't, I've asked for, I don't know if they've finished building the website for that conference yet. But um, it, it might be worth exploring, especially if they have um, live translation available like they did mm. for the last conference. And I'll be keynoting there and hopefully also doing a master class and, and would love to have some more people joining from Europe. In fact, I, I put forward Linda Lucas's name as a possible keynote person. I don't know if she's available. She's probably too famous now to do that kind of stuff. But <laughs> if she needs a break from Ted, <laughs> and and for, and it would be a much bigger audience okay. live. Mm. But um, I I can't speak highly enough about the the experience I had my first time in Moscow mm. participating, and, and I'd be happy to. I, that's what I need to write. I think I need to really write an article of just about going to Russia and speaking and going into schools and getting a much better sense of the people than, than what my media portrays, especially as we're, st I just read another article this morning from the New York times, really basically well, blaming well, Russia for Syria, stalling the peace talks. Well, wait, wait, you, you wrote an article for No, read, read. read. Oh, okay. Ah. I think it was the New York Times or the Washington Post, but they were, okay, they, okay. it was about the, the stalled peace talks. Mm -hmm. and they didn't, they didn't place all the blame on Russia, but they definitely mm -hmm. placed some of the blame. Mm -hmm. Specifically said that, that, well, Russians are continuing to bomb, it, um, it makes it difficult to, for the peace talks to move forward. And yep. whether that's true or not, that, I'm not debating that. But it just means that that's the kind of thing in mainstream press that that is straining relations between the U.S. and Russia as we speak. Mm. Well, um, I will not uh, compromise your private life here on public. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please do. <laughs> no, Why but, stop now? <laughs> I spent some uh, very cool hours with Derek, and I can say one of the adv advantages of hosting Derek is that um, he will tell a lot of stories uh, about the people he, he meets during his travels. And I, my private opinion is, Derek, that if you would write a book just about your life and travel and also like a Woody Allen episode of strange characters in strange countries doing strange things to you, like this Louis C.K. Uh, um, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. So yeah. you, you would make yeah. a bestseller <laughs> because you travel the world meeting people. It's very fun. Okay. I think uh, I, that's, that's, we'll, we'll need some new podcast episodes at least to, I've, Definitely met some more interesting people in Moscow. And guess where I'm going in March? Where? So I'm, I think I'm doing another workshop in Paris mm -hmm. with Cloud from the Scratch Conference in, Am in Amsterdam. And then I'll be back in Amsterdam for a bit okay. and in Ireland and Naples for, cool. to do some research at Pompeii and doing hopefully a workshop for, um, for Angela. Wow, Angela, okay. Who you, yeah, who you met at the uh, Maker Fair. Oh, the, the young Angela, okay. Uh, yeah, young Angela, maybe okay. also Agnese. I don't, the timing Agnese. is okay, okay. tricky. Because of this visa process, I don't know how mm -hmm. long I'll get to spend in, um, in Italy. But then I'm not flying to Moscow 
on March 10th, I'm actually flying to Vladivostok. Wow. This is now, the end of Russia. I had no idea where that was. You do, because you're better educated than I am. I think this but, is on the Pacific coast. Yeah, it's literally, it's, it's actually east of China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look at the map, it's, although there is a little part of China that's, that's yeah. further east. And then but you travel from Vladivostok to Moscow? Yeah, because um, this really cool project that I'm getting involved mm -hmm. with called School of the Future. It's mm -hmm. a new school, a new a secondary school being built mm -hmm. literally on the grounds of Moscow State University. Mm -hmm. um, they are designing this state-of-the-art 21st century boarding school that's going to bring students from all over the Russian Federation mm -hmm to Moscow for four years. And what excites me the most about the project is one of their commitments is to make sure most of those kids go back mm -hmm. to their community, that mm -hmm. they don't stay in Moscow and become mm -hmm. startup geeks, and, but that they actually keep close ties with their community while they're in Moscow. So a centralized location to foster decentralized yeah, Things, and let's see how they're this really, really steeped in design thinking. It's mm. going to be a non-traditional curriculum, mm. all project-based, interdisciplinary, like really cool. Mm. Uh, and they've started doing these camps. They did one last summer, and they're doing another one in March. And I'm going to be participating in this camp, which will be in Vladivostok. So rather than having everything centralized in Moscow, they're going to the furthest reaches of the Federation and getting kids from all over the region to come. In some ways, it's part of the screening process for admittance mm -hmm. to the school. It's also an opportunity just to teach some of these skills to kids who, who might not make the final cut and get to mm -hmm. Moscow. Mm -hmm. But um, it's a two-week project-based camp where they're identifying like two dozen problems in the commu local community in mm. Vladivostok. Mm. And there'll be small groups of kids, like 20 or so, that will be working for two weeks on that one problem with different experts. So I'll be working with them on design, and I'll, I'm teamed up with a scientist, and they'll be doing real world, sort of like, the hack like a two-week hackathon almost. Overnight, you know, the, so it is, it's a camp. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And it means this will be my first time in Asia, because that's far Asia, um, since I was in the Navy in 91. So it's the first time that I'll be bringing Scratch to Asia. To Asia. And, and what I may try to do is to spend some time in China Mm -hmm. and or Japan, because I'll be right there. In fact, I'll be closer to North Korea than you, than almost anyone else can be without being in North Korea. <laughs> Going to all the hot spots. Um, but I, that reminds me, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about is, mm -hmm. the last time we were together, you were putting some serious consideration into doing like an exchange camp with Ireland. Yes, with Steve. Thanks for. Uh, I yeah, think with Steve you also, um, the, Yes, I'm in contact with him. Um, I just um, have to work on the legal situation here, because yeah. it's not easy to 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 get rich uh, Austrian kids uh, to transport them somewhere overseas. So there's a bit of responsibility involved, well, and I have to check that out. I I think you should go to Dublin for a, mm -hmm. for a weekend, mm -hmm. and you should do it while the SESI conference is happening. Because you will be there from Amsterdam and, and a bunch of people mm -hmm. that you met from, from Ireland. Mm -hmm. It would be a really cool time to spend a couple okay. of days there. But this is, let's, let's discuss that in private, not in the... Yeah, yeah. but I, I guess I just wanted to, to close on that note because what's been so exciting over the past, I guess, six months since August is... We the, met in Amsterdam last year, yes? August. Yeah. Mm -hmm finding that when you go to cities and you're going there sort of with your passion, mm -hmm. like our shared passion for educational technology, going to conferences, meeting people that you, the world gets small really fast mm -hmm. and you quickly find the people that think like you do. And I think it's still a pretty big minority 
people that's kind of an oxymoron. It's a minority of us. The global that, elite. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, there, I don't know that there are so many of us thinking about educational technology mm -hmm. beyond our own city, much less our own country. Mm -hmm. So it's been really cool to see these alliances forming all over. And, and so like you and Steve Holmes is just one example of that me and you in, in Amsterdam, and while I was in Amsterdam also, I should mention, we had a really fun after conference. So you invited a bunch of people who were at the Scratch conference in August to come back to Amsterdam, people who lived in the area. Mm -hmm. And I think he had maybe seven or eight people for a full day at his office. And mm -hmm. they spent more than half the day contributing to the Scratch Wiki mm -hmm. in Dutch. Yep. So it was a really cool project-based time together. And one of them brought a child. We did some scratch together. Mm. And then our scratch project, we shared it. And we had instructions in both English and Dutch. And then that was linked to from the, the wiki. So it's really fun just to see people coming together and, and doing things that reach this wider world audience. Yep. It's pretty sweet. I want to close uh, this uh, podcast. Sadly, I have, I have to go soon with an, with an appeal. Is that the word? What is it? Not an appeal. I ask the audience. I ask appeal. the audience a favor. Oh, appeal. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, appeal. Uh, host appealing now. Uh, please, uh, dear audience, if you happen to meet interesting people or interesting technology, or if you are on a cool conference and there's exciting stuff happen, please blog about it, write and report, send it to International Open Magazine, so either to me, Horst Jens, or to Derek. Um, or if you have a smartphone in your hands, go to the interesting people and interview them. Ask them about their project and send, send us the audio file so that we can make a podcast out of it. Yeah, I would love to see, I'd love to see this podcast continue to grow and, yeah. and have more voices. So, so it, it really has something to be me too. and uh, Derek. So it's it's your it's open it's for everyone. And yeah, the whole point is it has to be free licensed. That's what I will make sure about it. So there's mm -hmm. no so whatever is in International Open Magazine, you can work and do your own thing with it. It's all yeah, creative Commons share like. If you're like Sergey in Moscow and you've been listening to podcasts and have been really wanting to create your own podcast, please feel free to create an episode of yeah. International Open yeah. Podcast and then use that as your uh, to grow into making your own podcast. If you're not quite ready to commit to doing a weekly or monthly podcast, yeah. just, just do one episode with us. Donate us one episode, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If it's somehow about open, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, and please um, include local beer if possible. We, we couldn't <laughs> do it this time because of the time difference. Yeah. It's, it's only just noon here. If we started an hour later, I might have cracked a beer. Actually, but, thanks uh, for rem reminding me. I, I'm going to have a beer now. <laughs> See, uh, rub it in. <laughs> okay, Derek, it was very great to hear you. Let's do that yes. again, hopefully soon and hopefully regularly. Yeah, thank you so much, Horst. I'll, I'll talk soon. Some final words from you to our audience? Um, How to host Derek? Well, <laughs> one, one final word. I think I love part of what Horst has been doing with International Open Magazine is republishing some articles that are even several years old but still valid. So, so often we think publishing is now, 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 now. But there are all these incredible articles out there, and maybe there are even incredible audio interviews. Uh, I, I want to note someone, a titan in the educational technology world who just passed away last week, Marvin Minsky from MIT, who um, is, you should, we'll, we should link to his Wikipedia mm -hmm. page. Yeah. He, he wrote several books. He was the creator of the Artificial Intelligence Lab at MIT and a big part of building the MIT Media Lab. He's best known for his work in artificial intelligence, but he also developed the original logo robot and did a lot of work with Seymour Papert in the 60s and 70s and did a ton with music and open source. And I just read in this great book, The Innovators by Walter Isaacson, that um, he had a huge influence on the development of the first viral video game 
the game Space War on yeah. the PDP One. Yeah, yeah. Several of his students were major contributors. I think this was also one of the first real computer games. Yeah, it was. It was. It's. It's often called the first computer game. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the first widespread, mm -hmm. and it was the first open source computer game. The good old days where everything was open source. <laughs> yeah, so there's a great there's a there's a great passage that you, you mm -hmm. can even find it on Google Books if you go to Google Books and search for Minsky Innovators. Okay. Um, but the you know a lot of those articles that he wrote even in the 60s and 70s are still really fascinating mm -hmm. reads. So I encourage people to share maybe some of their favorite articles um, that that are likely open source and. Creative Commons licensed and, and get them mm -hmm. out there. I'd, I'd like to read them. I can also um, add. Also, the the only real work I do at International Open Magazine is ask other authors who wrote stuff. Uh, please, can I republish that under a Creative Commons share like license? This is the basic of what I do, and actually everybody can do that. And this makes it so much more valuable because otherwise, an article like from this Mitch is gathering dust somewhere on a broken yeah. homepage, and if it's Free licensed, everyone can translate it, can adapt it, can put it in their own magazine. So you really add value to, to things that are already out there but are not honored, or are not usable because they are still restricted or with unclearly licensed. I want to now say this phrase that I, I understand is spreading like wildfire through my niece and nephew's school because I used it when I was teaching a scratch workshop there. One of the few phrases I know in German. Super cool. <laughs> Take Actually, care, man. Okay, yeah. that's, that was English. Das, das Vidanya. <laughs> das Vidanya. Okay, bye, Ciao. Daniel. Ciao. See you.